Jim. Take your hanky. I'm not going to need it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a there's a whole box down here. So, all right. I might I might start sweating later, but uh, I don't think I want to wave it around. It might confuse some of us. Galatians chapter six this morning. Um, it is it is uh, it's a privilege to preach. It's an even bigger privilege to pre- get to preach something you preached before. Uh, th- I have to be honest with you. This is not my first time preaching this sermon, so if it comes out wrong, I really mess this up. <laughs> but the um, I preached this a few months ago in class. Um, the professor said, you've got to preach two sermons in class, and one of them has to be an edification sermon from the New Testament. Now, a few months before that, I had taken a class in preaching through the epistles where I had to lay out a series in the book of Galatians. Surprise, surprise. So now I'm, I've been using that series, and this is one of the sermons that I had breathed out, so I didn't have like a manuscript, but I had pretty good notes on it already. And I said, well, that's perfect. I will get a passage from this series, get it all the way ready, and then when I get to it in the the church, then, man, this ought to be really good. So now I've set myself up for a disastrous sermon. Uh, Hopefully it will be, hopefully it will will honor God and it will bless you this morning. Y'all know I have four kids. Two of them, Gaines and Mitchell are pretty close in age, and then the other two, Brantley and Savannah, are close in age, and there's kind of a gap between them. And it's kind of interesting watching the dynamics of it. And these two, I have to be honest, they have a really terrific imagination. I mean, they can, it's just amazing some of the stuff they come up with. They play together, and they're like, hey, now say that you have to do this, and the other one will say it, and then I'll say that I have to do this, you know, and they come up planning out how they're going to play, and they play together, and they do all sorts of fun stuff, and and it's really great how their minds work, but nowhere are they more creative, nowhere are they more imaginative than in figuring out ways to torture one another. I tell you, they, they must get paid commission to torture each other because they are professionals at it. If anybody needs a professional torturer, I've got two of them right over here. They are, it's just crazy how that works. But when the going gets really tough, as much as they torture one another, as much as they fight and bicker and, and, and take toys away from each other and that kind of stuff, when it gets really tough, they stand up for one another. There's something about a sibling rivalry. It's kind of like a form of love, isn't it? It really is. It's a, it's a different kind of love. It's a loud and excruciatingly painful sort of love sometimes. But it's, an old, it's, a, it's a special sort of a bond. We as the church are the family of God. And sometimes we put the fun in dysfunctional. But we are the family of God. We've been liberated from slavery to sin and brought together into God's family. And the natural result of spiritual freedom is demonstrated in how we love one another. Let me say that again. The natural result of spiritual freedom is demonstrated in how we love one another. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the ways in which we love one another. Paul addresses this in Galatians chapter 6. So if you will, stand with me as we read from God's Word. Galatians 6. 
we will read and talk about the first 10 verses. Brothers, and this is brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Pray with me. Father God, I pray this morning you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Move within us, send your spirit within us to guide us into all truth. Not just to know it, not just to feel it, but to do it. May we be your ambassadors this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may sit. So Galatia, uh, as a region, has this problem of these Judaizers, these young Christians. Paul has started these churches, and before long, here comes a whole group of people saying, you've got to be a good Jew in order to be a good Christian. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the letter of the law that if you're going to please God. They were causing division and confusion in the churches. And Paul found it necessary to squelch the heresy immediately. So he wrote the book of Galatians to counter this false doctrine. We've talked about this a lot, I know. But if you're like me, you're forgetful. So you can always use the reminder. And so, so let's take a second to look at the grand scheme of the book. After an introduction in which he skips his customary butter-up remarks, I'm so thankful to God for you, those kinds of things. He goes straight into the sharp rebuke. He asserts his authoritative position as an, as an ambassador, specifically as an apostle of God, not for men, not by men's fiat. It's not that anybody elected me as an apostle. I'm an apostle because God made me an apostle, Paul says. And so he asserts his authoritative position. And then he declares the authoritative proclamation of the gospel. He tells them this is what the gospel is. The gospel is that by faith in Christ, we are justified before God. We're not justified by our works, by our efforts, by our own good intentions. We are justified by the faith we put in Jesus Christ and in him alone. After he does that, he begins to make a proof, an authoritative proof of the gospel, of how the gospel is sufficient, and it's not by works, but it is by Faith. And now, in this section, he's developing his authoritative progression that moves on from faith in Christ to works, living in the Spirit, doing the works of God rather than the works of men because who God is and what he has done for you ought to make a difference in the way you live. And that's what Paul is talking about when we get to Galatians 6. What difference does this make? 
This life in the Spirit that we talked about last week, how we live in the Spirit and we bear these fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do we bear that in real life? What does that look like when it's applied to boots-on-the-ground Christianity instead of this head-in-the-ivory-tower sort of thinking? How does it look on the ground? How does it look when we put it into practice? That's what he's talking about here. And at the last time, he, he started to delve into this idea of loving one another. And so we come with a question. How do we love one another? How do we do it? How do we actually pull this thing off? This morning, Paul gives us three ways, three specific scenarios in which we love one another. And then for good measure, just to make sure that we've got the point, he gives us the general So this morning, we're going to look at those together. How do we in the Spirit love one another? If the natural result of spiritual freedom is demonstrated in how we love one another, how do we actually do that? First way, we restore the fallen. Look in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In verse 1, Paul gives us the scenario of a brother who's struggling with sin. And don't we know this scenario well, amen? We, we are to restore him. He says right there, you who are spiritual should restore him. The idea of restore here is one of training. It's one of bringing to maturity or completion. It's taking something and making it like it's supposed to be. You think about a potter at a wheel. He's got this this pottery and it's starting to malform. He has to correct it. He has to push a certain way and, and, and bend it back into shape if it's not too far gone. If it's too far gone, then 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 he might just have to throw out the clay and start another. But if it's just starting to go awry, he's giving that that correction. That's the idea here of restoration. Bringing it back to the way that it's supposed to be. So when a brother is caught up in a sin, Paul says the impetus is on us. It's not on him to come begging for forgiveness. It's on us to extend forgiveness. It's on us to take part in the restoration. It's on us to have the initiative to go after the erring brother and help him get back right with God. It's on us. We often treat sinning brothers like they have the plague. We treat them like like we're going to catch something if we touch them or if we get too close, if we breathe the same air they're breathing. Sin is not quite like strep. You don't just catch it because someone in the house has it. Y'all, God tells us that we are to be the ones bringing restoration to those who need it. Now, that's going to take a couple things. It really takes a couple of pieces, and Paul expounds this in this verse. The first thing he says is that it's by a gentle spirit. We restore them by a gentle spirit, not by a haughty spirit, not by a spirit that says, I'm better than you, so I'm going to help you poor, pitiful being. 
that, that doesn't deserve this, but I'm so gracious and so caring that I'm going to lift you up from the, from the miry pit. You, you hear how I'm talking a little bit bigger. It's like my chest is puffing out. I'm kind of looking down my nose a little bit. That's on purpose because that's how we do it, isn't it? That's how we treat other people sometimes when they are falling into sin. We have to like, here, hold on to this long pole so I don't damage myself touching you. Well, the Good Samaritan. Pharisee walks by. Steps around him. The rabbi gets on the other side of the road, like as far away as I can get. It's the Samaritan that comes and touches him and helps him. We have a Jesus who touches lepers to heal them. Not just one who screams off from afar, all right, go, go, go get healed. No, he's one, he's one that gets contact. And that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to extend the hand and grab a hold of them and help pull them out. It takes a gentle spirit. The gentleness is not just, like I said last time, uh, talking about the fruit of the spirit. It's not just a you, you teaching your toddler how not to hit. It's not just that kind of gentleness. It's the kind of gentleness in the way that we deal with one another. It's, it's like the way you hold a child when they hurt themselves. You hold them close. But you comfort It's okay. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. That, that boo-boo, we're, we're going to take care of that boo-boo. You're okay. That's the kind of gentle spirit that we need to have with dealing with brothers who are fine. And by the way, when I say brothers, I'm talking about brothers and sisters, so don't just think it's the men. This applies to all. One of the results of being a child of God, one of the fruit being his child, is that we're gentle in the way we handle one another. We, we should handle brothers who struggle and sin gently. That doesn't mean we don't condemn their actions. It does mean we don't condemn the person just because they mess up. That's not our job, just because we know they're wrong does not mean that they themselves should be condemned. That's for God to do. Because I have to be honest, when I look at the mirror, I see someone who deserves condemnation. And that's why we have to approach with a gentle spirit. Because, boy, we're all in that mess sometime, aren't we? That doesn't mean we succumb to every whim and fancy of the sinner. We stand firm on a foundation of faith that does not move, that calls sinners, sinners to repent. This passage is talking about believers. It's not talking about a world that wants you to condone whatever they want to do because they want to do it. This is talking about the people of God. And when it comes to the church of God, we have every right and every responsibility to call sin, sin. Not because we're deciding what sin. Because God has decided what sin. And it matters that much that we get this right. Now, yes, we need a gentle spirit. 
But we do also need a close watch. The, it's kind of interesting the way, look, look back in verse 1. He says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. That looks like a command the way that's worded. And there's no really good way to word it in English to avoid that. It's, it's just a translation problem. If we all spoke Greek, we might understand it a little differently. But trying to get it into English, that's what you have to do with it. But the idea is actually attached to the restoration. We restore in such a way that we don't forget ourselves. One of the dangers, if you're, uh, if you're a lifeguard, you're taught how to save someone who's drowning. You don't just swim up to them and grab their hand and pull them along. Sometimes you got to knock them on the head to get them to stop flailing around. Why? Because they'll take you down too. We have to be careful the way that we restore so that we don't just do what they do in order to be friends with them so that we can eventually lead them back out because what happens then? We fall into the same problem. We need to do this in such a way that we keep a close watch on ourselves and not fall into the sin ourselves, but we do give the lifeline and the help and the gentle spirit that that person needs us to have to help them get out. It's a balance. It's not just condemn them, and it's not just jump in with them. You've got to stand on the dock and reach the hand out to grab someone. You've got to be in the boat and reach the hand out. You've got to have the life preserver yourself to save the person who's drowning. And if we're not careful, we're going to fall into one of the two traps. We're either going to love them so much that we just completely forget about their sin, or we're going to condemn them so much that we're not even going to offer help and we're going to let them drag. We can't do either. Loving our brothers means that we restore the fallen. We help those who are fallen in sin to get back up. That's one way we love one another. The second way, not only do we Restore the fallen, we assist the burden. Verses 2 through 5 give this picture. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, let's stop there in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That bearing the burden. You, you take years and years and years of Greek. It's right there on the surface. You don't even have to speak Greek to get this one. Bear one another's burden. Somebody is burdened, help them. Take some of their load off. Whether that load happens to be something small or something great. Whether that load looks like something that is, that is so difficult to bear that your heart just goes out to them, or whether it looks like the kind of load that's like, why are you even carrying this? Help them out. Help them out. When you're carrying a burden, I'm called to help you. Jesus talks about Pharisees who put all these burdens on the backs of other people and they're not willing to lift a finger to help. Don't be like that. It's what you do when your wife comes home with the groceries and you rush out to grab the heavy bag. 
It's what you do when you're when you hear that church member has a big project they're trying to do. You grab your tools and run over to help. It's what you do when uh, when the mother's wringing her hands over a wayward child. And you just show up and be with her. Pray with her. Cry with her. Bearing one another's burdens is one of the ways Paul tells us that we fulfill the law of Christ. It's one way we love one another. Even here we have to be careful though. One of the problems comes that we like to make ourselves big. I mean, you ever see, if, you, if, you, if you've had toddlers, you remember this. They want to help you. And their help isn't always helpful. But you want them to feel like they're helping. So I ask them to, to grab, I'm laying down on the floor, and I ask them to grab my hands and pull me up. And we all struggle. And, and, and they're like, I did it. I pulled you up. I did it. And I'm like, yeah, you did. Not really, but yeah. You, <laughs> you gave me something to hold on to is all you really did. But the fact of the matter is we have to be careful because we get that, that sort of mindset about I helped, I helped, I did it. Look what I did. Look what I did. And sometimes what we did really wasn't all that good. So we have to be careful not to boast ourselves or boost ourselves. Don't boost yourself. Don't make yourself too big. I've talked about this a lot lately too. It's just one of those things that when when multiple series of scriptures and, and sermons all kind of line up and, and maybe I'm getting too big for my bridges because I keep coming across this. Don't boost yourself. Don't, don't get too big for your bridges. Don't make yourself too big because you're not. We all need help. We all have the burden that's too big sometimes and that we need help lifting. None of us are bodybuilders. I don't know, maybe maybe Mike is. I don't know. Are you? You look like you would be. Just that big, like that that tall kind of kind of build. None of us are really, really massive bodybuilders. We try to lift a lot of weight. We can't do it by ourselves. So don't get too excited about yourself. You're just not that big. You're not that strong. All of us need that. Don't boost yourself. Also, don't blind yourself. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. But it, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. you got to test what you're doing. Don't blind yourself to your own efforts. You know, sometimes you can get into a mode where you're doing stuff and you just think everything's okay. And before long, it's not. And you don't even realize it. One of the best things to do if you own a business is to get someone else every now and then to look at how you run your business. If you're, if you're what we used to do at Walgreens, when I was working at Walgreens, is... From time to time, someone, a manager at another store, or a, a, or a, a, a team member who was particularly good at seeing these kinds of things, would walk into another store. Sometimes I would walk into a competitor's store, and I'd just take a look around. I'd see, how, how are they running things? What are they doing? How does the store look? Is it clean? Is everything organized? Priced well? You know? Clear markings 
on what prices are. Are people friendly? Take that visitor look. Take that outside perspective. Step back and say, all right, what is, what's really going on here? Test your work. You know, I, I, I make salads every now and then. Don't tell anybody this, but I eat some fruits. I do. I taste test. And it is a taste test. It's not like I don't get like a whole salad. Um, I, I, get, I get a couple pieces of lettuce, and I try How's the lettuce? Is it crisp? Good. How's, how, how, are, how do the apples look? Is the corn too soggy? <laughs> is, it, is it watery? What, what, what do my ingredients look like? What do they taste like? What do they smell like? Are, is this good? Because nobody, nobody wants watery corn on their salad. Nobody wants blue cheese that's way too blue. You know what I mean. Nobody wants the ingredients that have gone bad. And if I'm going to make sure that I put out good quality stuff, I have to test what I'm doing. I have to make sure that what I'm doing is up to par. That's what he's talking about here. Don't blind yourself. Don't let yourself become so used to what you're doing that you miss what you're really doing. You see that? Fifth, uh, third thing under that, don't burden others. There's no need to put your load on top of someone else when you can carry it. Now, that's a whole different thing to share burdens with those who need help. Sometimes we all need help. Sometimes we need help. But sometimes... We have to bear the burden. Only you can do what only you can do. So do what you can do. Don't sit around and wait for someone else to take your load for you. Get up and do it. Don't sit around and wait for someone else to pick up your dirty clothes off the floor. You pick them up. Don't sit around and wait for someone else to fill that ministry need that you know needs to be filled. You fill it. You do it. Because that's a burden on you. God has put that burden on your heart. He's done that for a reason. You get in and serve. Sometimes it's, I wish I could, but I've got a bad back. Well, come tell me, and I will cook you up with someone with a good back. We'll do it together. We'll bear one another's burdens. I get that. There are some things that you want to do that you can't do. I totally get that. Trust me. Trust me. I, I run through that all the time. There are just not enough hours in the day for all the stuff that I want to do. There's some things I have to do. There's some things that I have to mark out and say, this has to be done. So bear your own burden. Don't burden other people. But when you're carrying a burden that's too great for you, that's when we need to come. How can we help you bear that burden? Maybe that burden is sitting wrong. and Someone just needs to adjust it. Have you ever had a book bag? And everything is kind of mixed up and it just wasn't quite right. But then you take stuff out and, and you situate it right and then it's a lot easier to carry, even though it's the same amount of weight. Maybe, maybe the straps are hanging down down here and you're like almost falling backwards because, yeah, you pull those stra straps up, you get that weight higher and it's easier to carry. Sometimes it just is a little bit of adjusting. But whatever we do... Part of the way we love one another is that we bear one another's burdens and we don't make them bear ours. Number three, 
We also help the ministry. This is a way that when I preach this in class, I told them, we like this verse, uh, verse 6, because uh, in verse 6 it tells people to share with us who are teaching the word. So that's, that's like a good thing for ministers, right? Listen, listen to what he says. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now that sounds like it's a really good verse for a minister, right? Because I'm, the, I'm doing the work of God and they have to share with me. They have to, Jesus said share. There you go. Jesus said share right there. Paul did, but, but God is the author of scripture. So there you go. God said share. Two things are wrong with that view. Number one, that's very short-sighted. <laughs> but number two, it's very short-sighted. Let me explain what I mean. If I'm only thinking of myself, well, I'm not really loving others, am I? Well, that's the short-sighted part. But the really short-sighted part is the fact that I'm not the only one ministering. In fact, you want to know where ministry happens? People think ministry happens in a pulpit. People think it happens at a Sunday school lecture. People think that it happens in the walls of the church. But I want you to know something. Ministry happens in hospital waiting rooms. Ministry happens in checkout lines. Ministry happens at a gas station. Ministry happens next door to where you live. Sometimes even in your own home. Ministry happens wherever we are because we are the people of God and part of our calling, part of the mission that God gives us is a mission to love. And that ministry that we do, that owe no man anything except to love one another, that debt of love that we owe to one another and to others who are outside of the community of faith, that is our ministry. That is our service. And ministry happens everywhere we are, at least it ought to. And so what I see when I read this verse is not just you have to give me something because I'm teaching. That's not what it says at all. It says that when someone is ministering, all of us should rally around them and help them fulfill their ministry. Maybe that's financial. Maybe that's giving to put a roof on the building. Maybe it's not financial at all. Maybe it's having a place for someone to teach. We want to start a home Bible study, but we need a home. Maybe that's a home. We want to do... Uh, we want to do nursing home ministry. Maybe, maybe that ministry involves driving. Maybe that ministry involves picking up supplies for residents. Maybe that ministry involves singing one Wednesday night a month. We want to do different kinds of ministries. How can we make those happen? Part of my job as pastor is to unleash you folks is to get you folks involved in ministry. And some of you are already involved in this. Some of you go to nursing homes more times a week than people start to think you live there, like you're there so much. I, I know a couple of our folks who are just always, always, always going to visit. Maybe it's not nursing homes. Maybe it's shut-ins. That are always constantly checking in on people who need it. People who, who may not have the chance to come. Maybe, maybe there's a ministry that's all you don't even see how it could happen. You know what I'd like to see? A youth ministry. We have one youth. She's an awesome youth. But we need more. How do we make that happen? What do we do? 
I need an entrepreneur, by the way. If you know anybody who's an entrepreneur who just loves you, let me know. Because that's what I need. I need someone who can just take the ball and run with it. Do you see what I'm saying here? What I'm saying is that we go out of our way to help people who are doing the works of ministry. And if we're all doing the works of ministry, what does that mean? We're building up everybody. We're helping everybody. It may not be that you can give money to every single cause. But it may be that you can pray. It may be that you can support. It may be that you can serve in that function. It may be that you can do all of a hundred different things in, the, in many different ways to do the work of ministry. But the fact of the matter is that if we're not connected together, we will not, we will not be able to do it. it. It'll fail. And it'll fail not because we don't have good intentions, but because we don't have the support. We don't have the structure. Y'all, we love one another by helping each other ministry. Paul then goes into something that seems like a diversion. It seems like it's a rabbit trail in this case. Verses 7 and 8. You probably have heard this in more connection with sin. I have never heard this preached until I preached it the first time in class a couple months ago. I've never heard this preached in its full context. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We often hear that and we think, well, that talks about sin. You can't sin. Or if you sin, if you sow wild oats, you're, you're, you're going to get wild oats. You're not going to get anything else. And that, that's true. That is true. But look at the context. What's he talking about? Loving one another. What does reaping and sowing have to do with loving one another? Well, you reap what you sow. Picture this for a minute. If we reap, love one another. If we reap, if we're going to read Christian community, loving one another, what do we have to sow to get that? You reap what you sow. The things we put in now are what determine what grows. You plant corn, you don't get apples. I hope not. Boy, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? We will sow the life of the Spirit in community, restoring the fallen, assisting the burden, helping the ministry. If we will sow those things, we will reap Christian community. And we'll not only reap that, we'll reap souls coming to Christ. You want to get that baptismal back there overflowing? Well, I don't want it to overflow, but you want to get it full of water? Let me tell you how. There's three ways. Preach the gospel, live the gospel, and keep doing it. Not necessarily in that order. If we will preach the gospel and we will live the gospel and we continue to do so, I promise you we will 
reap a harvest like you will never believe. And I'm not just talking about numbers. I'm talking about lives that are chained, lives that are deepened, people that are living the Spirit of God instead of living in the flesh. We will see a dramatic effect if we will just do the basics. Loving each other. By, by the way, what was it that Jesus said? How, how would how would the world know us as his disciples? That we love one another. All these three ways lead us to one general principle. We do good to everyone. We do good every chance we get. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity... By the way, uh, verse 9 tells us to keep doing it. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. But verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We do good every chance we get. Anytime an opportunity arises, we jump on. We are Crestview Baptist Church. And we will love one another at every opportunity. We do good to everyone we can. It doesn't matter whether it's a difficult scenario. It doesn't matter if it's a difficult uh, uh, situation. It doesn't matter if it's a difficult person. We do good to everyone we can because we are Crestview Baptist Church. And we love one another every other. We do good especially to each other. We don't just treat each other like dirt. Sometimes families tend to do that. We tend to have a rough day and come home and explode on the spouse or get mad at somebody else. We don't do that. Sometimes we do, but we don't need to do it. We love one another because we're Crestview Baptist Church and we're called one to love one another. I'm going to do invitation a little bit different. Jim, Linda, y'all can stay where you are. I want you to bow your heads. This morning we have been talking about some ways that we love one another. We've talked about restoring the fallen. We've talked about assisting the burden. We've talked about helping the ministering. In short, we do good to everyone. Every time, every person, especially each other. There's someone we haven't been loving very well. There's someone I know I haven't been loving very well. There's someone you know you haven't been loving very well. And their picture, their image has probably come in your mind right now. I want you to focus on that person for just a moment. It might be family. It might be a friend. It might be, it might be someone you've just ignored. Maybe you haven't restored someone who's fallen in sin. Maybe you haven't assisted one who's carrying a 
preferred way to visit their back. Maybe, maybe you saw someone struggling to do the work of God and you haven't helped. You know you should. This morning I'm going to invite you to do two things. I'm going to invite you in just a moment as we pray to ask God for forgiveness. But then I'm going to ask you as soon as you can Maybe that's tomorrow morning. Maybe that's the next time you're at the store. Go to that particular place. Maybe it's someone you just need to get their number and call this afternoon, right when you leave. I want you to call them and apologize to them. And seek to find a way to love them way that God tells us to. Let us resolve to live out our spiritual freedom naturally by loving one another. Pray with me. Father, we have people in our minds that we love but we don't love very well people that we should love, that you love, that we're not loving quite the right way. Father, I pray in this time you would burden our hearts. Forgive us when we fail to live out the love that you've commanded of us. Forgive us when we fail To restore the fall, to assist the burden, to help the ministry, to do good to everyone. Father, we ask you to forgive us and to help us do better. And as we reach out to them in the next day or two, pray, Father, that you would make our efforts fruitful we would love them the way that you want us to. And in the process, we might be an example to others. They might open the door for us to talk about Christ. Maybe with them, maybe with someone else. That we might have the opportunity to glorify your name in the way that we should. Father, it's too big to do on our own. None of us can carry the burden. The burden of fulfilling your law. Not without your spirit. So Father, dwell within us. Strengthen us, empower us, embolden us. Give us everything we need to do to follow through with your word. But most of all, bless your holy name. Bring yourself honor and glory. Now and forever. Help us love one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll be having our services tonight. Church, counselor, remember we're meeting at 3.30.
rest of you will see you at 5 o'clock. Y'all have a terrific week. And if you need help, if you need help with anything, you let me know.